I believe. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal Christian church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, I am so happy to welcome you as the Christ Journey family gathers again. This is a great day to come home to God. And we celebrate a family reunion every Sunday as Christ Journey in our different campuses across the nation, around the world. So whatever state you find yourself in and joining us or nation, we invite God's blessing to you. And right here in South Florida, may he meet you in a special way, full of life today. And speaking of full of life, oh my goodness, I heard uh, Ryan's talk last week. This is powerful. That was full of life, and I'm thankful for the gift of forgiveness that God gives us and the uh, gift that God gave us in Ryan's message as well. Now, for today, uh, George Bernard Shaw said one time, you know, the statistics on death are impressive. One out of one dies. And I think he was just observing what was obvious to him, right? That every person from all of time is going to find their way, your way, through the valley of the shadow of death at some point. Now, we don't talk about it much. Our culture lives in denial of it. In fact, I saw an article online. The headline simply said, funerals are becoming a thing of the past. You know, it got my attention. And you read the article, and it says, you know, funerals, we don't even call funerals funerals anymore. You know what we call them? Celebrations of life. Celebrations of life. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not complaining. I'm just simply saying that if you ask someone, if you ask someone today, what are the top 10 things you like to talk about? Or even ask them, what are the top most important things that people could talk about? My guess is that death is not going to show up on the list because we live in denial of death. We want to act like it's never going to happen. And yet, you know, and we're exploring the Apostles' Creed, um, and, uh, and here it is. I mean, it's like this huge reality check. The Creed simply is the summary statement of what the earliest disciples of Jesus taught, believed, and practiced as they were following him. And here's the statement today. I believe in the resurrection of the body. That belief is about death. That's about death, but not about denying it. You know, Christ followers don't deny death, at least the ones that were early following him. They defy death. If there was ever a death-defying faith, it's Christianity. And the apostles, at least the apostles were doing that from the beginning. And think about it. I mean, we use death as an initiation into the church here. You know what I'm talking about? Baptism. You come, you declare that you are identifying with Christ by entering the water of death. Death, burial, rising again. It's a declaration of death that initiates our journey. And then as part of our worship, regularly, you know what we do when it comes to death? We eat it up and we, we, we drink it in. What am I talking about? Communion. Jesus said, as often as you will, remember me. This is my body. This is my blood. 
It's like he's saying, you know, um, and just in case we miss that, uh, the Apostle Paul was very clear, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's what? Death! Every time we take communion, we are facing death. Jesus is saying, here's what I want my followers to do with death. I can summarize it in two words. Fear not. In church, in worship, we remember in the presence of Jesus when it comes to death, we defy it. We eat it up, we drink it in, and then we know that death is not the end. This is the faith of the apostles. When our Lord finished dying, he wasn't done. And neither are you. This is our belief. And yet death has always been a mystery to human beings. Um, What happens when we die? Most everybody wonders this. And so what I want to do is just list some of the popular beliefs that people hold today. The Apostles' Creed is our summary of what the earliest followers of Jesus believed when it comes to death. But did you know everybody's got a belief about this? Even non-believers believe something when it comes to death. Other believers of other faiths believe something when it comes to death. Like what? Well, atheistic materialism simply believes this, death is the end of you, period. Since there is no God, you have no soul, you are only the compilation of chemical reactions, and when those chemicals turn loose, then you're, you're done. All of you dies. Atheistic materialism believes that when you die, all of you dies. It is the end of you. You're just dead and gone, the total, complete end. Agnostics Now you're wondering, how do I know this? Because I have visited. I don't just read books. I have friends that have engaged the conversation with me about these things. Agnostics might believe. That's a humor attempt there. Agnostics might believe one of these, that maybe there is a God, but there is no life after. And it's because if there is a God, either God doesn't care enough or God isn't strong enough to make it work. Um, and the more cynical of those tend to believe this. Nobody knows. Nobody can know. You can't know. I can't know. Which makes me want to ask, how do you know? <laughs> right? And then here's what intelligent agnostics say back. Well, how do you know different? This is a great question which is what we're going to talk about today. But everybody has a belief about it. We just don't all know the reasons why. And so I would challenge you, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, thank you for coming. God bless whoever invited you to come. Thank you so much. Please, let's engage the conversation about this. If you've ever wondered where the whole idea of ghosts came from, you know where that's from? Paganism. Ancient paganism. The pagans believed that when you died, your body died, and then your you're, uh, and then you become a ghost. You become this faded, dark copy, gloomy copy of what you were in life. Not, not a physical copy, but this kind of spooky copy that hangs out and haunts, right? And, um, and of course, Hollywood says that some of those spooks become angels, which isn't something that Jesus ever taught. Others, Hollywood script tells you that some are friendly ghosts and others are like really evil ghosts who come to get even, and some are ghosts that just want to fall in love, you know. And uh, No, that's none of that comes from the apostles. Jesus never taught any of that. None of that is a biblical idea. 
But people believe this. I don't know what you believe. Plato popular paganism, ghosts. Plato popularized the Greek idea that every soul is immortal. And your body is going to die, and then you're going to shuffle out of this mortal coil and escape to the real world of immaterial immortality. Greek philosophy. Some of you studied philosophy, you know. Also not a biblical idea. That we float around as a disembodied spirit in the clouds or somewhere. No. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the apostles taught. But everybody believes something. What do you believe? Then pantheism. This is the Western version of pantheism, which is all is one, has shown up mostly in New Age thinking in America. And New Age believes that maybe you get absorbed into the cosmic ocean so that when your body dies, your consciousness is swallowed up in some place somewhere in the universe, which is sometimes why people talk to the universe. They believe something like this. Um, it, it, it's a form of an ancient Hindu thought that, um, and, and of course, that Hinduism, also practicing pantheism, said that you're just going to recycle. You, based on uh, the idea is that through reincarnation, you will keep cycling back through reality into another life form depending on your karma. And what that means is karma is simply what you give, that's what you get. Except the little secret there is that if you got bad karma going, then it will give you a lot worse than what you thought. To the point that in Hindu thought, you can get stuck in spin cycle of recycle for eons. It's not like every time you reincarnate, you get promoted to the next level. No, it's all based on how you performed. It's a performance plan. And it will recycle you down and spinning. This is the basis of New Age thought, historically. But the Bible is very different from that. Scripture says, Judeo-Christian view, says that history is moving, not cyclically, but linearly to a great climactic end where God will intervene and a new eternal world order will begin. And so, listen, if you're one of those people who says this, you know, we're all just going the same place then I would respectfully say to you, maybe there's a little homework that would really help out here. Because a lot of people in America, they, they're, not, they're living in denial of death and they're acting as if they're smarter than they are because they have not studied. Where do people say they're going? What do they really believe about where they're going? Well, I'm telling you what they're saying. Everybody believes something. What do you believe? I want to help us understand today, what did the apostles believe and why did they believe it? We deserve to know, right? By the way, I should also tell you this. Every world, major world religious system of thought, from the ancient Egyptians to the ancient Greeks, then to Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Zoroastrianism, and all through so many others of the performance plan responses, simply say this, there is life after this life. And in that life after this life, what moral deeds you performed in this life will have impact. Many of them say, yes, your future depends on what you do in terms of your moral performance. Of course, the stark outlier there is the grace that Jesus promised that it's not based on our performance, 
but on our receiving as a gift his performance on our behalf. And yet Jesus also said in John chapter 5, he said, don't be amazed at this. There's coming a time when those in their graves will hear his voice, the Messiah's voice, and they will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Words of Jesus, you don't want to be that guy. Right? We want to get on the right side of this equation. What did the apostles believe? They believed that. They believed in the resurrection of the body. Now, in light of all those other options, why would they believe that? And why do you believe what you believe? Well, I'll tell you why they believed it, because it's what Jesus taught. They were following Jesus. And not only what he taught, but what he modeled. They were eyewitnesses of his after-resurrection bodily appearance in that glorified state that they would watch ascend to heaven. They remember that Jesus said this, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. So there's a heads up. That was what the apostle John remembered Jesus saying. The apostle Peter said this, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We heard the voice from heaven. So it's not like they sat around saying, let's dream up a new religion. They weren't smart enough to do that. They were from Galilee. That's what they said. Hey, where do these guys come from? But they were just reporting what they'd experienced, eyewitness accounts. Paul says that he was given a visit to paradise, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. John, the apostle, said that he was given a tour of the heavenly city in Revelation chapter 21. All I'm saying, I don't know if you agree or believe that. I'm just saying that's what they said. They said what they saw and what they felt is what they were reporting. It wasn't what they dreamed up. Peter and John had breakfast with Jesus on the sea, the beach of the Sea of Galilee in his resurrection body, his being glorified human body on the Sea of Galilee. They were there with him and talking with him and saw him and and watched him eat. So that John said this, when it comes to the afterlife, he said, you know what? As he is, so we will be. It's as simple as that. First John chapter 3, verse 2, when Christ appears, we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, guess what? They were eyewitnesses of his glory. We will be too. And what we see is what we will get. The substance of their consummation is compressed into one word, glory. So the apostle Paul Book of Romans summarizes the plan of salvation, being justified by faith, that's forgiveness, having peace with God, that's the presence of God's Holy Spirit within obtaining access to his grace by which we stand. All of that is now going to climax in the final day in the, sh- the sharing of hope in the glory of God. Colossians 1.27, Paul writes it again. He said, Christ in you is your hope of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17, our light momentary troubles, that's what this life is, light momentary troubles. I know it feels a lot harder and a lot longer for those when we're in it, but those light momentary troubles, Paul says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Glory. The word glory suggests brightness, it suggests radiance, it suggests um, weightiness. Weightiness, the song we just sang said the weight of glory. Eternal glory has weight, substance. 
You know, like that feeling when you're in, in a car and you close the door and it just goes, boom, instead of like, sounds like a tin can, like and he's a tin can on wheels. No, it says substance, glory. That's what this is talking about. The, the glory, the clout, the prestige, the reputation, the brand strength of God is so full of weightiness that you can trust it. And here's what it's speaking of. One day you will share the glory of God. You will share the significance of what it means for God to be God. Imagine that. As, uh, how do you imagine that? To share the glory of God means to be engaged with him in the exercise of his governance, his authority in creation. Where do I get that? I mean, it's like uh, the exercise, oh, the places you will go. Does Jesus have a future for you? First Corinthians 6, Paul says this, don't you know that saints will judge the world? I don't know if you got up thinking about that this morning. Don't you know that saints will judge angels? This is like cosmic scale stuff that's for the life after this life. Jesus told a parable saying this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. That was his way of summarizing everything we do in this life. You've been faithful in a few things. But now, oh my goodness, I'm going to put you in charge of many things because of the faithfulness you developed here. So come, share in your master's happiness. That's glory. And the image of God coming to fullness through you God has come to us in Christ to rescue us, to redeem us, and to restore glory. Why does it need to be restored? Well, because we got hijacked early in our history from the story that the apostles had learned in their Jewish history, and then Jesus confirmed in his salvation history that uh, we got robbed of our birthright. We got ripped off. We got deceived. We got dis- diverted. And we got burglarized in the garden. Diverted by temptation and sin. So Paul writes about that this way. All have sinned and fall short of what? There's that word again. Glory. Oh, God had a glorious plan for his image bearers from the beginning, but then it got diverted. We got distracted. It, we got ripped off. It was usurped and distorted. But the Apostle John says, God wasn't done. God didn't give up on us. Chapter 1, he says, God came to us and we beheld what? We have seen his glory. There it is again. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace. And of course, then he died for us. He rose for us. Then he comes alive in us through his Holy Spirit. And he connects us into a community of glory and all of it that we might develop into his likeness once again. As from glory to glory, we are changing. Spiritual process, the spiritual process of discipleship is by faith in obedience, we move from glory to glory to glory. We are developing incrementally, gradually becoming our truest selves by growing to our full potential as restored in Christ. Second Corinthians 3.18, we with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's what? Want to say the word together? Glory. We 
and we are being transformed into the likeness, his likeness with ever-increasing what? Glory. Oh, my goodness, which comes from the Father, who is the Spirit. So we're like the moon, he's like the sun, and we're just full of glory, reflecting it as we get more acquainted with him. And by faith, we trust him, we obey him, and receive him, and guess what God does? He starts making more room for himself in us. Because being made in his image means that you were hardwired to be for a capacity to know God personally. And what he desires to do is make more room for himself in each person who will trust him. I grew up in Arizona. The Grand Canyon was in my backyard. I've hiked it twice. One time I was down at the base and the river, the Colorado River is just raging by. I was shouting at my friend who was about 10 yards away. He couldn't hear me because the river was so loud and strong in its surging. And yet, you know what they say, that river cut that canyon. Jesus said, my Holy Spirit will be like a river of living water in you. And I'm saying, Lord, then I want you to make a grand canyon out of me. You know, put some art by God on display. And let's let the river run and let's let the sediment of selfishness get torn away so that others can see and your flow can bring life, living water, increasing my capacity as you do your work. Imagine this. You come to know Christ, and you're, but your capacity for knowing God is like a thimble. And you're a full thimble. And you go, oh, man, I'm full, I'm running over. And you're, but, you know, and then you know what happens is you start taking the step, the next step of obedience. You, you get baptized and you start connecting to his word. And next thing you know, your capacity has increased. You're now a cup. You'll fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. And now, and it's overflowing and you're excited about it because you're a full cup. And then God says, come with me. And he challenges you to start serving to expand capacity, you know, and step into the next level. And guess what? Now you're a pint. Ever thought about being a full pint? Size, a pint-sized believer, that's what I'm talking about. And then guess what happens? He says, I want you to give. I want you to go where you have not gone by yourself, and I'm going to take you there and show you how to do it. And the next thing you know, you're feeling the fullness of a gallon-sized you that's bigger than you've ever been. And then something happens. Maybe he takes you in a dark space. He takes you deeper and farther down that you don't know if you can survive there. And he says, no, I got you. Let me stretch your capacities. Let me build your depth let me expand your reach. Let me lift your heights. And all those things are God's desire from glory to glory. He makes more room in you for more of him so that all eternity you can be celebrating the bigness of God as one of his image bearers in you till as a disciple. Paul says this, you know, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you're going to be doing all to the what? Glory of God. Even the smallest thing inside your life, your soul, your body can be full of the glory of God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is what your destiny is in Christ to the point that even Jesus in John 17, his high priestly prayer, he said, Father, you know, I've shown them the glory you gave me, and now I've given them the glory that you gave me, and so I want them to be with me so they can see my glory, okay? Because remember, we lost that glory, and we don't know what we don't have. 
And so Jesus shows up and says, watch this, because it's with you in mind. You can grow beyond the capacities of your past, beyond the the shackles of your sin, and I can lift you, and you're going to join me someday in glory over the world, over the creation. Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, the glory of eternal life. And this is eternal life, verse 3, that they may know you, the only true God, that our lives are being capacity-built for God. I know there's got to be a better way to say that, but you know what I'm talking about. Glory is God's goal for your life. Well, what's that going to be like? Now let's talk about your resurrection body. Because the whole reason is that you might know God in love forever and grow in God in a personal body way. Very different from other worldviews and other religious claims. You were made to be known by God, and you were made to know God in eternal glory. And so God doesn't want you to miss your opportunity. In Adam, you were designed by God for glory. That was distorted, deceived, usurped, and so God said, but I'm not done. And so in the new Adam, Jesus Christ, you will have a designer body that is made in the image of our Savior. We're going to become like him, our resurrected, exalted, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Apostle Paul, just as we have borne the likeness of earthly man, we will bear the likeness of the man from heaven. This is what the apostles believed. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. Listen, we will all be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. That is so good. I need to say it again. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and this mortal, I'm on my way. I'm already dying. I've been dying every day since I was born. I'm on my way out. So are you. But this mortal must clothe itself with immortality. And then he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Does your body matter to you? Mine does to me, right? Your body matter to you? Our bodies matter to us, don't they? We want to feel good. We want to be healthy. We want to look good. We want to stay fit. We want to feel young. But it's hard to do in this world, isn't it? In fact, it's impossible Truly, uh, I, somebody said good health is merely the slowest possible rate at which one can die. <laughs> yeah, think about that the next time you're exercising, right? Um, so like what Paul says, without denying We defy it and say, we're eagerly awaiting our Savior who's coming in that new body, and he's going to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Philippians 3.21. There's that word again. Glory. You're not done. Even when you're dying, you're not done. Not if you're a Christ follower. We want glorious bodies, don't we? Yeah, so you know what we do. In our world, we diet, we exercise, we try to treat ourselves right. Uh, we, we, 
work hard, we, and, and then we, pursue, we try to buy the right clothes that will show off the right glory of our bodies, right? Like, what do you think of my leather? Was this a great day to wear leather? Yeah, you feel the glory, right? Um, and then some, some pursue glory with artificial implants. Some get a little nip and tuck here and there. Some, you know, Botox helps them out a little bit, and tanning booze way in. But imagine this. What the Scripture says is God wants you to have a glorious body. This is his idea. He made you for glory. Here's what Paul says. Your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for your body. I don't know if you ever thought about that. You might have think God is after me. God's trying to take me down. No, Paul says, no, God's for your body. He's on your side in a way that is more real than physical and that matters more than the material, a way that allows an internal quality of life to increase your capacities to the point that you can know God personally in your body in love. This is amazing. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Paul says, now I know in part, but then I'm going to know fully, even as I'm fully known when we're with him. Now we see through a glass dimly. Yes, we do. But then we shall see face to face. We don't know everything we need to know yet. Now, Lisa and I have been married for a while. <laughs> and uh, guys, that's wisdom speaking in my head there. Um, and I'm telling you, I loved her from the beginning. Truly, I loved her, and I couldn't imagine doing life without her from the beginning. But now, after lo these many moons, I love her deeply and in a different way. Why? Because I know her. My capacities have changed. My thimble love was full of love. But I'm at a different level now, and I'm loving in a different kind of fullness. This is what God is talking about here. You were wired to increase your capacity so that you can love in knowledge. And that is what is going to enrich eternity. Because what God is really up to is restoring a community that is going to reflect his glory and live in love overseeing his cosmos. So believer, our resurrection bodies um, in our eternal home are going to allow you to know and be known personally, deeply, spiritually in a glorified experience, which frankly, that is a mystery. We don't understand it, but that's what we believe. Now sometimes people wonder, will we, will we maintain our identity on the other side? You know, will we recognize each other in heaven? Yeah, just they recognize Jesus. You know, they knew who he was. They had to do a double take or a triple take or what? You know, and then, then hang out with him for a while. So maybe we'll get to know each other in a deeper way, but you'll still be recognizable. Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7 says that people are going to be there from every nation, every language, every tribe, which means that we're going to maintain our racial and our ethnic identities. Seems like on the other side, that's the vision that is underlined. How old are we going to be? Well, Jesus was like 33 when he got his resurrected body. I'm thinking that's a pretty good age. Some of you, you aren't there yet, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But some others of us who might be on the other side of that, 
You know, 33 sounds like a good age, right? But whatever age, you know what? We're not going to be distracted or damaged by disease and death. We will be imperishable, immortal. What does that mean? No vulnerability. No vulnerability to cancer, multiple sclerosis, cerebral palsy, Parkinson's, asthma, HIV, arthritis, Lou Gehrig's, diabetes, heart disease. The list goes on. Paraplegia, quadriplegia, any and all mental health issues, all a thing that do not exist in the glorified body ever again. No, no mental health issues, no feeling of insecurity, no arrogance, no jealousy, no hiding, no shame. You know, you're not going to have to try to be beautiful over there. You're just going to be beautiful. And you know what? It will be beauty without comparison. It will be beauty without competition. It will be Glory in the presence of God. And we, will, we, will we have our five senses? Well, Jesus did. I'm telling you, he could see, he could hear, he could touch, he could smell, he could taste, he could eat, he could talk. There's going to be a wedding feast, the story says. Now here the body is weak. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. But in glory, we're going to be clothed, completely covered and embraced in immortality. What does that mean? imperishability. It appears we're going to be able to travel at the speed of thought if we do what Jesus did in the glorified state, that he appeared and disappeared at will. Can we fly? I don't know if that's what you're going to call it, but we're going to defy every law of physics that we've been limited by here in order to experience the glory. Jesus said this, Matthew 13, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. That's about glory. No more shriveled, bent fingers. No more crooked limbs. Forever young. Talk about that a little bit more next time we're together. Radiant in God's glory by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, what are we going to do with all those amazing bodies that I'm going to be looking at? Besides saying, you're so beautiful. You look so young. You're so strong. You know those things. You know what we're supposed to do with those bodies? Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He said, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. You know why I believe that? Because on the other side, when the final day has dawned, faith will have come to pass. Hope will have been fulfilled. But guess what? Love will have only begun. And we will be wired to experience God's love forever. Would you pray with me? Listen, one out of one may die, but everyone that is in Christ will live. This is God's answer for you. How, what is your prayer today? What, what, what is your next step of prayer? Perhaps for somebody, you've been sick or a loved one is sick, and today a prayer for healing would be most appropriate. Would you make it right now? Lord, bring healing, bring strength, restore health. Now imagine this, being in a place where that prayer is so totally obsolete. Never have to make that prayer again. Maybe somebody else is grieving the loss of a loved one. I was at the bedside in a hospital this week as a woman passed from this life to the next. Maybe you're in the shock, feeling the stun of loss. 
then it's appropriate that we pray comfort and counsel for you. Lord, bring comfort to those whose hearts are broken by the presence of your Spirit even now. But can I remind you that that prayer is only good for a while (laughs) because death is going away. Maybe for you, you're just tired. You need some new energy. God, I got to have some more life. God, give me life. Yeah, that's what John said. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son doesn't have life. So for the river of living water to flow through you, perhaps for the very first time, you need to ask God to be your life in Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. By the power of your spirit, would you unleash the river of living water that can start shaping me and increasing my capacity for you? I'm open, Lord. Fill me. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith. You've just trusted Christ. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you're seated. Our heads are bowed. If you're joining us online, you can click there on screen, and we're praying with you. Kendall Campus, you know pastor is watching and praying with you. And right now, for every, Lord, for every hand that is raised, thank you. Thank you for the hearts that are open and for the power of your spirit that is responding even now here in the middle, over to my right, right here in the center, right on the aisle to my right, over to the left against the wall, right on the aisle. God bless you. God sees every hand, every heart. And Father, we pray that you would fill each one to your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Now look at me just for a moment, just for a moment, look at me. I'm gonna invite our worship response team to come forward and be present on all of our campuses right now. Not because we're going to linger, but yes, please, just step right up and step right out wherever you are. And because we reordered today's service so that our we would dismiss with this thought on our mind, what is yet to be and how we pray to receive it even now. So if you came a little bit late and you wanted to give your offering, then may I encourage you just to drop it in one of the boxes at the back of the Gables campus or give it at the host station at Kendall campus or give it online, you know, make a digital gift. But here's what we want you to remember today. And then after we dismiss, um, I'm going to ask us to go in a spirit of prayer, those of you that want to go to your next commitment, but those of you who know that God has stirred something and you're ready to receive the prayer of blessing from one of your sisters or brothers that are here for you then I want us to, uh, you come this way while others are going that way, and we'll all go with this thought on our mind. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the human mind the glorious things that God has prepared for those who love him. Receive the blessing as we are dismissed in his name. God bless you.